yet, but we haven't run out of dinosaur prints. Oh, come on, Honk. Dinosaurs are extinct. I know. I mean, they don't exist. I know. So, what are they? Dinosaur prints. Suck gas, evildoer. Welcome to the St. Canard Files, a Darkwing Duck podcast. I'm your host, Will Santana, and... I'm Mike Russo, and we gotta stop that crazy dinosaur. Hey, Mike. How's it going, man? Hey, well, uh, it's going good. It's going good. How are you feeling tonight? Uh, man, I'm not doing too good. I got a little cold, but we got a third co-host with us today, so maybe he can help out so I won't talk as much. Uh, we got Curtis with us today. Welcome, Curtis. Hello, everybody. I am just a dinosaur in a man's world. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, welcome, Curtis. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing just great. I'm happy to fill in. Will, I'm sorry that you're feeling terrible. That's That sucks, really, but uh, I'm glad I'm able to help out in the, uh, you know, the talking heads part of the conversation here. Oh, it's all good, man. <coughs> so, uh, but... um... Oh, so, Curtis, man, uh, where are you from, man? I live in uh, beautiful Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Oh, so you're a Canuck. All right. I got some Canadian right. jokes. <laughs> Let's get them out. They that's got right. Maltese, we, not police. <laughs> that's true. We love our the Canadian jokes. So, yeah, just uh, go right ahead. <laughs> All right. So he's in the hockey, not, not basketball. Yes, that's very true. Mm-hmm. Go Canucks. Man, uh... I don't know too much about Canada, but I know the real estate's really high in Vancouver, man. Ah, uh, yeah, that is very, very true. Um, I just we just actually bought a, ourselves a townhouse, oh, yeah? um, and it was you know near a million dollars. It wasn't even it's not even a detached house or anything like that, right? Um, <laughs> so it's really, really expensive to buy anything up here in oh, Vancouver. Wow. I mm-hmm. thought I thought New York was bad. So Curtis, uh, and, how, yeah, oh, go ahead. Uh, I was just saying, yeah, that's Canadian dollars as well. So you had a factor in the exchange rate. Oh, it's mm. true. So, Curtis, how did you get into Darkwing, man? Well, you know, I I was a Disney afternoon guy, basically. it's I, I rushed home from school every day after school and always missed the first half an hour because it would start at 3 and school got out at 3. So I never watched Gummy Bears. Um, but I was a huge fan of the other three shows, DuckTales, Chippendale, and, and Tailspin. And then, of course, when they, the, the following year, when they rotated the, those shows around and Darkwing came in, I watched it, and it's as simple as that. Okay. And I've been following along with your, your podcast. It's very interesting to me because I never watched Darkwing Duck on Saturday morning. Um, I was always watching the Fox Kids shows, you know, Batman the Animated Series, Eek the Cat, you know, stuff like that. And I didn't even know that those episodes were different. So for, for some of the episodes, like Negaduck, it was years before I saw that episode. Uh, so, were, so were you born in the late 80s? I was born in the early 80s. Okay, early I, 80s. Yep, I was born in 81. Okay, and so we mean so, you born the same year. Yeah, cool. Yeah, 79 yes. here. Man, you so dirt, yeah, man. this is the this is the prime <laughs> age for the the Disney afternoon, I think, because we were you know eight and nine and ten, and uh, that's that's a perfect Darkwing Duck age. Okay, yeah. so so uh, was Darkwing number one for you, or was it Ducktales, Gummy Bears, Chippendale? Well, who was number one for you? Ducktales always has been and always will be number one for me. Close second is Chippendale, and you know um, the the Darkwing Duck. It, while I did like it never scored as high like i even liked bonkers more than darkwing duck believe it or not <laughs> oh wow uh, we, we might have to fight one day it's, man <laughs> it's not that i didn't like darkwing duck i i did but it wasn't at the top of my list but i still love the episodes the villains are great and i especially now that i'm older i'm a huge huge comic book fan 
And now that I'm older, I definitely appreciate the the whole satire of the superhero genre that it is too. Lots of in jokes and stuff like that I pick up on now that I didn't when I was a kid. You liking bonkers over Darkwing means we, we might have to fight one day, but I can't well, ice skate, so we can't do it in a in a hockey rink. Well, and I'm not a basketball player, so I don't. I think we'd be in big trouble. <laughs> we'll fi- we'll figure it out somehow. Maybe you. I don't know bit- though. I'm Maybe on a video bon- game. I'm on Team Bonkers, though, so. Okay, well, there we go. It'll be uh, Mike and me versus Will. Okay. <laughs> All right. So bonkers Mike, always has to come up, right? Yeah, yeah that's right. God. I, I do not like Bonkers one bit. <laughs> well, All right. many people don't. Yeah. Not alone. Yeah. All right, so, Mike, what episode are we doing today? We are doing Jurassic Jumble. <laughs> This is the uh, the episode that was supposed to introduce Stegmunt if it had aired before uh, Justice Ducks, but it didn't because its original air date was Thursday, October 10th, 1991. Um, this is actually the first episode that aired after a repeat. So the day before, which is would have been the 9th, um, Beauty and the Beat would have aired. So that would have been the first time the episode was rerun in the Disney afternoon. So we skipped today. This will become more common as we go along. So again, Thursday, October 10th, 91. Um, our story editor was Dwayne Capizzi. Uh, we have mentioned him. And our writer is Marlo Weissman. We have a new writer. This, I believe, is his only Darkwing Duck episode. Uh, he's a writer, got started in 1990 on a show I've never heard of called Wake, Rattle, and Roll. I don't know if either of you have heard of that, but I know I sure haven't. No, I don't think I've heard of that. Uh, so he wrote a couple of episodes of Bonkers, a couple of episodes of Aladdin. Um, actually, funny enough, Darkwing Connection, The one of the episodes of Bonkers he wrote was the um, Do Toons Dream of Animated Sheep episode that has the Darkwing cameo. Huh. Um, nice. he, he also wrote two of what I think are the best episodes of Aladdin. Um, Curtis, how familiar are you with the Aladdin show? Not one bit. Never right. watched it. No, well, it's not even on Disney+. Plus. Hopefully that shows up sooner or later cause so people can rewatch it. Yeah. Um, he wrote for uh, Animaniacs, Hysteria, um, Ed, Ed, Nettie. I think this is the first time I'm mentioning that show on the podcast. And <laughs> he's, he's, still, he's still active. Um, not too much nowadays, but you know, this is, a, this is a, a decent episode for the only one he's done for Darkwing. So, yeah, there we go, Marlo Weissman. And um, in terms of animation... We have not seen Kennedy cartoons in a while, have we, Will? No, nah, we haven't seen them in a while, but there's a particular reason why I was told why Curtis wanted to join us because of this one. <laughs> yeah, well, so when Mike was asking me what episode do I want to talk about, I'm like, ah, man, I don't really know. Um, th- just give me an episode that with, with Kennedy cartoons. Because I, I know that Kennedy cartoons is like a... Um, you know, it, it's a it, people love to hate Kennedy cartoons, and I I have an odd fascination with with their work. <laughs> it's so strange. So yeah, this is one that's anim- animated by Kennedy cartoons. So you're here yep. to defend Kennedy. Um, to a certain ex- extent. I mean, I okay. know that there's definitely weirdness about about his cartoons and and the way his studio worked and such. But uh, but there are some things to like that I like. So I want to point some of those things out, and we'll see how you guys feel about it, too. Yeah, and um, I will say I think uh, Kennedy's uh, Disney work is miles ahead of their uh, the Tiny Toons work, for sure. Yep. Um, yeah, they were, they were just, oh, they were awful on Tiny Toons. <laughs> um, much better on the Disney shows. And this episode, as far as animation goes, I'm going to say, is one of their better ones. It's definitely better than Waterway to Go. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we're going to do a little bit of animator ID on this episode, too. Well, I know there's one Kennedy episode we ain't going to knock. I know that ain't happening on my watch. (laughs) (laughs) And we know what episode that is, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. We we, we backing off my Quacker Jack boy, so we staying off of him. (laughs) Well, I think that Kennedy actually works really well for Quacker Jack because of the nature of Quacker Jack's character. And Liquidator, too. Yep, that's right. They got to do a whole bunch of intro episodes, didn't they? Steelbeak, Liquidator, Quackerjack, Stegmutt. That's wow. funny. 
Yeah. They really did. It's funny how they got a hold of all of those episodes. Well, because they're all early episodes, though, right? Because they they didn't do any of the later episodes. No, so if not you're, if you're not doing really. early episodes, the chances are you're going to be doing an intro episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, much like Australia too. Curtis, yeah. do you know a lot about Kennedy Studios, like background and stuff like that? I don't know a lot about their background. Mm-hmm. Uh, when when my wife was getting into the animation industry ten years ago or so. She worked as a PA for a very small animation studio here in Vancouver, and Glenn Kennedy was working at the studio. And that's kind of, other than seeing their work on Tiny Toon stuff, that's kind of how I know of Kennedy himself. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of an odd guy. And he, one of the things, like, I think that he's, he has good, anim, he's, he's a good animator, I think. He's just got a weird style. And he's mm-hmm. got a very specific way that he does things. Okay. And he, when he was at that studio, um, I remember my wife telling me that he was asked to do um, to to redo the logo for Warner Brothers Animation. You know how um, for the longest time through the '90s, there was always the Warner Brothers logo where Bugs Bunny was in a tux and he'd jump out and he'd spin the little thing around the logo. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that would that would show before every episode of Animaniacs and Tiny Toons and all of the Warner Brothers cartoons in the 90s. And then in the early 2000s or in the mid 2000s, they redid the that that whole sequence. So it was a more kind of an older style Bugs Bunny with a red background. You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Uh, that logo the one that they ended up with was not one that Kennedy did, but he did a version of it and I got to see it and it looked very, very nice. He got kind of the, the more the 1940s kind of slapstick bugs bunny. Um, he, he did a really, really good job. They ultimately did not go with it. So he, he has some chops. Okay. Um, I, I think Kennedy could be pretty good if they weren't, you know, stuck with the TV kind of schedule. I mean, they did a ton of Tiny Toons episodes, but trying to do that many in only a year, it's no wonder yeah. their episodes looked the way they did. Yeah, they cut a lot of corners, and I think that they just um, they didn't have the they didn't follow the same guidelines that the other studios did as well. They they kind of marched to their own beat and had their own character designs and such, which are very very obvious, and you can see hints of that in this episode too. Now, the one thing that I know that they did for the Darkwing episodes is they outsourced a lot of their animation, actually. Yeah, uh, so Disney, Disney hired Kennedy cartoons, and then Kennedy went and outsourced the animation to some other studios like Startoons, which I think is why this episode looks so good. Mm, that's uh, definitely right. true. So it sounds yeah. like we got in the red corner, we got Curtis, who's pro-Kennedy, and in the blue corner, we got... Uh, Mike over here who's anti-Kennedy. Round one, ding. No, I'm just kidding, y'all. <laughs> you know, with, right. me and, with me and Kennedy, it's really my, it's really Tiny Toons that's really rubbed me the wrong way with that studio. Yeah, Not really yeah. the Disney stuff, because there were so many Tiny Toons episodes they did, and I feel like those episodes aired all the time. And yeah. most people who don't like Kennedy don't like it because of Tiny Toons, not the Disney stuff. The, the, yeah. Disney, the Disney episodes were okay. They didn't really work on Aladdin. I, their style didn't fit Aladdin. But Bonkers and Goof Troop and Darkwing, they were okay on those shows. And I'll point out uh, throughout the episode some of the scenes that, I, uh, that are specific to Glenn Kennedy that I think – and the reasons why I think they work well with Darkwing specifically – um, and also remember the Tiny Toons, like they did the pilot episode of Tiny Toons when the animators like creating Babs and Buster Bunny for the first time, and they won an award uh, for that for that episode. So you know somebody likes them. Well, when you're up against TMS and other Japanese studios, you just can't win. Yeah. All right. Well, let's go ahead and get into the episode, Mike. Um, all right. The episode starts off. We're at uh, Shyster and Lupo's, their attorney office. Yeah, that's um, it's kind of joke you don't get as a kid, but Shyster and Loophole—that's a funny name for a law office, I'd say. <laughs> yep. And uh, yep. they're right. They're, they're um dictating a letter to one of their clients named Numero Uno, who is now in jail for tax evasion, and they want their money. He hasn't paid them yet. Yeah, he hasn't paid them, and uh, they got Maria typing the letter. 
Oh, the character's name is Maria? I must have totally missed that. <clears throat> yeah, her name was Maria. Because when the phone rang, they said, Maria, get that. Yes, so the phone rings. We hear a voice on the other end of the phone. We're not going to say who this character is or who voiced him. But um, so the, 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 the stenographer picks up the phone and the voice on the other end is like, is, it, is this the shyster and loophole? Not the tax attorneys. And as what's going on behind the stenographer as she's taking the phone call? Uh, there's she a, a shadow. Yeah, there's a certain dinosaur in the background. <laughs> we don't see his head. No, but we know Not who it quite. is, though. We, well, yeah, because we already saw uh, Just Us Justice Ducks. Mm-hmm. We know who this guy is. Uh, so he bursts into the law office, captures Shyster and Loophole, and leaves. And she doesn't realize anything's happened until she turns around and they're already gone. Yep. And then finally somebody makes an interest early in the episode. Yeah, really early. We get our first. We get a Darkwing entrance. Mm-hmm. And his line in this one is, I am the paper cut that ruins your morning. And the smoke <laughs> clears. There's Darkwing, but he's not alone. And it's certainly not Launchpad this time. Nope. He got two children with him. Yes. Conquering <laughs> <Two children>. Goslin. <laughs> that he rescued from a burning. And she says, let me guess, your daycare duck. Mm-hmm. And if you didn't know this episode was done by Kennedy, Darkwing does this face. And you could tell right away who animated this. The second you see him do this rubbery face when he gets when he when he hears that. Um, so Goslin and Honker are standing right behind him. And Goslin, it's funny, Goslin immediately knows who uh, Numero Uno is. Oh, yeah, she gets excited about it. She, she gets into a whole story about him. Yeah, Christine Kavanaugh gets this great line. She's like, the math genius serving two to four for evading taxes on his five and ten cent stores 11 or 12 months ago. I love what they do with the numbers here. You know, two to four, five and ten, 11 and 12. And she just rattles off that dialogue so quick. She was a pro. Oh, yeah. She was a pro. And this is this is one of the many scenes in this episode. Now, I've been in contact with a Kennedy animator by the name of Derek Bond over the past couple of years. Um, he helped me out back when I was writing my Darkwing reviews. And he he told me the animator for the, just this one scene where Goslin's talking about who Numero Uno is, was the animator's name was Stephen Baker. And mm-hmm. the drawings on Darkwing are really strong here. And he comes back later on. I'm going to point out he does this great scene with Dr. Fossil later on. And I think he's one of the better Kennedy animators. And um, so as Darkwing and Goslin are talking, what does Honker see? You see those dino footprints. Mm-hmm. <coughs> and we get this bit with Honker trying to say something, and the uh, stenographer tells him to spit it out. <laughs> and um, Curtis, take it from here. What happens next in the episode? <laughs> well, uh, they they go back and forth about whether or not these are actual dinosaurs. Um, I love how they how no one believes. And there's an exchange. I can't remember if it's here or if it's a little bit later where Goslin's like, um, these dinosaurs don't exist. I know that. They, they can't be dinosaur prints. I know that. Then what are they? They're dinosaur prints. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a little later, but that is a good oh, is scene. It? Yeah, Yeah. in this scene, a Darkwing's like, prehistoric? You mean dinosaurs? And even Goslin laughs at him. And uh, that exchange between Darkwing, Goslin, and Honker, um, that's um, the animator I've been talking about, Derek Bond. That's one of his sequences. Oh, good. Yeah, he's good. Yeah, especially how Goslin leans over and goes, ha, 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 to Honker. Um, And then then she thinks, she doesn't think it's a dinosaur. She thinks it's a fusion and Martian carnival geek. (laughs) <laughs> I'm, I'm surprised she didn't say there were zombies. Yeah. So Darkwing thinks Numero Uno was the one who captured Shyster and Loofpole, so he shushes he shush the kids out of the room, and uh, they follow the dinosaur prints. And uh, we jump back and forth now. Um, the episode kind of gets a little back and forth between Darkwing trying to go after uh, Numero Uno and Goslin and Honker following the footprints. So I think what we should do to make this easier is talk about the Darkwing stuff. Because there's just, it's really superfluous, it's not important to the plot, but it's a variety of scenes of Darkwing trying on these bungee suspender snaps to jump out of the Thunderquack into the St. Canard minimum security prison and talk to Numero Uno. Mm-hmm. Probably my favorite scene in the episode, because it's so, there's so much 
there's so much comedy here. It's basically just a bunch of blackout gags, like a Looney Tunes cartoon, basically. And let's just talk about that first. Okay. The okay. the was the what was the first one? The first one they were playing golf, right? Yes, they're playing golf. Mm-hmm. And, and he, uh, he jumped behind them. <clears throat> yeah, but the he's but the, he can't get the snapster unbuckled. Mm-hmm. So he grabs onto a tree, rips the tree clear out of the ground, and both him and the tree crash into the thunderquack. Yeah, he's back that's up the, in the thunderquack. <laughs> the, the second part is my favorite of the three scenes, and that, the Curtis, pool, only, right? Yes, oh, and Curtis, I want you to talk about this scene. Okay. Um, Darkwing goes back down and uh, tries to... He, he has... Before he gets sucked back up, he grabs onto the, the swimming pool handles, like the, 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 the handles to the stairs that go into the swimming pool, and the force of the bungee kind of bringing him back up pulls the whole swimming pool out of the ground. <laughs> it's, it's a great <laughs> scene. It's like, how does this work? I don't know. Um, but it's perfect. And this is the comedy that I love in Darkwing Duck. It's just, it goes against physics and it's wonderful. And, and um, the reason why I want that Mike is throwing this to me is because I was, I mentioned that this scene, when he goes back up into the Thunderquack, in fact, all three of the sequences when he's in the Thunderquack, um, I'm pretty sure are animated specifically by Glenn Kennedy himself. And there's a lot of little signs and details in the way that the characters move and look that are specifically for him. And one of them is just the way he draws the characters. He he draws them so their their bills are a little bit longer and kind of pointed down a little bit more. So it's like the, the facial proportions are not exactly on model. Mm. Um, Glenn Kennedy also loves to animate mouths out, out of the side of their mouths rather than out of the front of their mouths. And so you can see some of that in uh, the way that these characters talk when Launchpad and Darkwing talk in these scenes that um, they're kind of talking on the side of their mouths. Um, it really and, helps. It really helps that they're ducks too, and you know there was there was there was Plucky Duck, so you can actually yeah. kind of compare how he handled Plucky and how he handles Darkwing and Launchpad here. Totally. Uh, and the other big thing that Ken- Kennedy does that I don't know that any of the other studios really do is that Ken- Kennedy Cartoons is a really big fan of smears and wipes. And uh, I, for those of you who don't know what those terms mean in animation uh, when you want to convey something moving quickly because you have to draw every frame of an arm let's say an arm moving across the, the screen like waving or something instead of drawing the hand in a bunch of different positions you can draw one panel where the hand is just kind of a big smear and that takes you from the the, the a position of the hand kind of up to smearing to the B position where the hand is down. And Kennedy does it all the time. So if you push pause on Disney Plus uh, while the smear is happening, it just looks like a ridiculous drawing that doesn't make any sense. It's it's a really good shortcut if you can do it right. <laughs> yeah. And I think Kennedy does them well. Like he And he puts them in all the time. And so in these one, when he's like, like um, being snapped back up into the thunderquack or later on when he has the anvil and he's going to throw it down there. There's a bunch of wild wipes and and stretch proportions and really rubbery animation that I think works really nicely for Darkwing Duck because it's a comedy show. You would never see that kind of thing in DuckTales or Tailspin, but it you, you get it in Darkwing and it works. Mm-hmm. I will say I will say the physics make no sense. Darkwing ends up back in the thunderquack, and then the snaps unbuckle. He crashes yeah. to the ground, and then the pool falls on him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, it's 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 great. <laughs> but what really saves it? He looks right at the camera as a shadow is looming over him, and goes, "I'm gone." <laughs> <laughs> so Mike, and then he's on the third one. He he jumps down holding an anvil. Yeah. Hoping that's all he's going to need. He gets to the ground, and his clothes are ripped right off of him. He's wearing nothing but his mask. <laughs> it's wonderful. It's so it's so Roadrunner and Coyote in the timing here. It's like um, all of these things are something that would happen to the Coyote in those old Chuck Jones cartoons. And these, this, these three scenes are funny, but they definitely distract you to, from the fact that Darkwing is actually pretty useless in this episode. 
<laughs> he yeah. doesn't actually do anything that helps anybody. It's one and of those rare. Yeah. It's it, one it's, of those rare occurrences. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it's great because it put, places the focus on Goslin and Hunker, who are definitely the protagonists in this in this episode. They are the uh, stars. They are the stars, and if Darkwing was capable, then that would distract from from their purpose in this episode, which is really to, you know, to to save the day. Mm-hmm. So back to Goslin and Honker then, or or as I'm starting to realize, they are a lot like Bart and Lisa Simpson in this episode, aren't they? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Goslin's the Bart Simpson who wants to who wants to prove something, and Lisa and Honker's a little Lisa who knows all the answers. Like they like they're trying to foil a sideshow Bob plot in this episode. Definitely gives me that vibe. But anyway, the two of them go to the museum following dinosaur footprints, and we finally meet Stegmut. Yeah, he's chewing gum and trying to get a soda. Mm-hmm. Stegmut loves sodas. And oh, I yeah. love how he uses his tail as the the can opener. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and uh, when they see him, Honker gets this great wild take. Like his glasses get huge, and he screams. Like one of those rare rare times when Honker has like a bit of animation that's so extreme like that usually doesn't happen with him. Yeah. And uh, and um, Stegmut sneezes the uh, the skin right off of a dinosaur model. It just it just ends up having a skeleton. Yeah, they they start running for that elevator. Mm-hmm. They don't quite make it though because Stegmut trips and crashes right into it, and they get to know each other. Now we find out why Goslin knew Stegmut in the Justice Ducks episode. Because they they become buddies pretty quick. Yeah, he reveals he was once a janitor. Mm-hmm. They don't show what he used to look like. I'd love to know what he did look like, but I guess yeah. they just want to leave it up to your imagination. Yeah. Didn't Goslin tell him that she used to hunt Martians or something on this scene? Martian hunter <laughs> freelance. <laughs> <laughs> The, the whole janitor thing really I, – I was always confused about that because he acts like a kid. And he's not – he says he's not a kid or he wasn't before he was a dinosaur because he was an employee of this museum. But I always pictured him as a kid. Yeah, yeah he is – he's definitely very simple-minded. Yeah, because he has that catchphrase that definitely makes him sound like a kid where he always goes, oh, boy – yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. And he, yeah, and it's more than just being simple-minded. Like he actually is just very, you know, like immature and uh, very has the the things that he likes are are things that kids like. He's mm-hmm. very naive too. Yeah, and um, yeah, because he takes the two of them down to the basement, where yeah. wh- which he which he should not be doing, but he does it because they're his new friends and he likes having friends. Mm-hmm. Oh, and, and Honker wants to see a science project. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Stegmont Stig, knows where there's a science project that he can yep. see. Takes him down to the basement. And um, now we meet our villain. Dr. Fossil. It's Dr. Fossil. Who voiced Dr. Fossil? <coughs> it is Barry Gordon. Oh, yeah, Barry Gordon. That's right. And I'm like, how? Do, I always think that uh, he sounds so much like Rob Paulson. But um, he it definitely isn't. He's a, a different Ninja Turtle altogether. Yeah. <laughs> so Barry Gordon, born 1948. He's still with us. Thank goodness. Um, he's He started acting when he was only eight. So he's wow. been in the business for a long time. His first voice acting role was in 76. Um, Will, you want to guess what studio he started acting for? Uh, oh, uh, let me take one guess. Uh, Hanna-Barbera? <laughs> yep. On Jabberjaw. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, Curtis, I know you've been listening. Every time we talk about a voice actor from this period, they always got their start at Hanna-Barbera. And for those of you who are listening to this who haven't listened yet to our Flash Quack interview with Neil Ross, he actually goes into detail about why so many voice actors got started at that studio. It was actually really fascinating to learn that info from him. So so when you guys are done listening to this, jump over to our Flash Quack interview if you haven't heard it already. Um, he was on Pac-Man, the Smurfs, the Jetsons, the Snorks, but we all know who he's most well-known for voicing. Of course, it's Donatello. Oh, yeah. yeah. And that's the voice he's doing here. It's Donatello's voice. Mm-hmm. And he's – I will. what do you guys think of Dr. Fossil? Really quick. Um, 
he, he's okay. You know, um, I don't understand his intentions so much on why he didn't just change back to dinosaur, like, uh, or to human, like Honker said. It's a little strange, but it, it kind of worked for this one episode. He is a good mad scientist villain. He mm-hmm. He's really kind of nothing more than that, and his plan isn't even that good at all. In fact, it's, it doesn't even make sense. <laughs> I, I think he's one of those villains who works primarily because of the voice actor. Yeah. Because yeah. Barry Gordon's really getting into this role. Um, But the, the design is good. Like, yeah. his lab coat is part of his skin. I don't quite understand where they were going with that, but it's a neat design choice. And yeah. um, so um, Derek Bond, who was one of the animators in this episode, told me that Fossil was actually very hard to animate because he had this huge dinosaur beak on him. And he was easy to animate only from the side. So actually, if you watch the episode, you see lots of animators working with him only in profile. Whenever he whenever he has to look at the camera, some of the animators on this episode are having a hard time with it. But the animator I talked about from the very beginning of the episode, Stephen Grant, he gets to do this great monologue. Now you guys know which monologue I'm talking about. When 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 Fossil's screaming, <laughs> the point, the point, and that that animation is really fantastic. Yeah. Because he's getting close to the camera. The music is like getting all dramatic. And then he, and I guess it's because I've seen this episode so many times that I don't appreciate the comedic timing here. He's getting really, he's building it up. He's like, the point. And then he looks over and there's Stegma. He doesn't want to upset Stegma, so he sends him away. Mm-hmm. He's like, I just keep Stegma in the dark on certain details. He upsets easy. The point. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's really funny. It's just, it's, also the acting, the animation, but we have to talk about what his plot is. Go for it, Mike. Hurt, you want to do it? Okay, so there apparently there's a comet called the Cleanser's Comet hurling toward uh, Earth, and he's got a big electromagnet that he's going to use to pull the comet into the planet, destroy <laughs> all humans. And he is uh, turning humans into dinosaurs to give dinosaurs a second chance, because I guess he loves dinosaurs a lot. Uh, is that basically the point of the of his plan there? Um, I think so. He shows the kids um, people he's already captured. Yep. Um, you know, Shyster and Loophole and Circus Pe- and Ice Show Penguins, rock musicians. Stegman was supposed to bring him back circus elephants. And he was, I guess he was going to turn them into dinosaurs. And um, he decides to turn the kids into dinosaurs, too. Yeah. You know, that's our act break with uh, Stegma with the retro evolution gun. We haven't mentioned that yet either. The gun. Um, it's funny. He tells Stegma, you know, it's a secret. Secrets are things nobody knows about. But Stegma walks off and comes back with the gun anyway. <laughs> I love it. Like, yeah. He's like, and no surprises here. Nope. <laughs> and that's just like a kid. It's like, don't tell your dad what you got him for Christmas. And then what does the kid do? He has to go and tell his dad what he got him for Christmas. It would make more sense if Stegman was a kid. It definitely would explain his personality. Yep. Mm-hmm. So I have a question about Dr. Fossil's plan here. He wants to destroy, or he wants to give dinosaurs a check, second chance. But the reason why dinosaurs aren't around in the first place is because a meteor crashed into the planet and caused an mm-hmm. ice age. Yep. Mm-hmm. So isn't that going to just do the same thing here? Yeah. Like, dinosaurs aren't going to survive that. <laughs> yeah, that's I what I was saying. I, I didn't really get his plan. And to me, it just didn't make sense. You it know? doesn't make sense at all. <laughs> I guess the easiest explanation is that it's Darkwing Duck, and villains are, <laughs> and, and most of the villains are insane. Yeah, right. <laughs> do, do we really... I mean, do Megavolt's plans ever really hold up? <laughs> That's a good answer because, like, when I ask my friends, how come Deadpool always has a unicorn? Because it's Deadpool. It, it worked. You know, that's their answer, you know? You know, this, right. if it was a different, if this was DuckTales or Rescue Rangers or Tailspin, I'd be sitting there like, come on, that makes no sense. But it's Darkwing Duck, and it's a show where the creator doesn't even care about continuity. So I don't care either, you know? It's like, I don't, I don't like thinking too hard about what happens on this show. But when you're writing a show, the the premise of the show 
needs to make sense. And then within that, you can do things like the swimming pool scene where it's like just the, the, the pool falls on to off the Darkwing, even though the pool was supposed to be falling faster than Darkwing kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but the, the whole point of the show, I think, still needs to have a grounding in reality in order for the rest of the loony parts of the show to make to, to be acceptable, I guess. That makes sense. Makes sense. I buy that. I guess, I guess, Curtis, I think maybe we're overthinking it because we're adults. I, probably, yes. You know, as a child, <laughs> I didn't catch that. You know, it was like, ooh, dinosaurs, yeah. you know? Yeah, that <laughs> was it. You know, I just was like, oh, dinosaurs, cool. Dinosaurs. Yeah. When I'm on a podcast, though, talking about any of these shows, or I have a podcast about comics, like, I can't help it but you know, just dive into the nitty gritty parts of it mm-hmm. like this. <laughs> it's just something I do. Mm-hmm. And uh, of course me being a uh, 12 year old Godzilla fan, when this aired, when Dr. Fossil goes, look, look, it's Godzilla. That's all I needed. <laughs> yep. <laughs> That's all I needed. Um, and he mentioned dinosaur cookies, dinosaur pajamas, dinosaur, dinosaur lunch boxes. And this is all before Jurassic park. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so the kids are going to be transformed, and we get back to Darkwing for a moment. Yeah, he's stuck at a red light. Yeah, did you realize that Launchpad only has four lines of dialogue in this entire episode? Yeah, that he's really underused, and there's entire scenes where he just is standing there not saying anything. It's like, I guess they felt he had to be there, because someone had to fly the thunderquack. If they didn't yeah. have those scenes at the beginning, <laughs> Launchpad probably wouldn't be in this episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's it's funny though they're in the they're in the rack hatch are stuck at a red light and Stegmut pulls up next to them, um in a in a pickup truck and asks where to find um Cape Cape Canard, and this is literally seconds after Launchpad mentions that maybe Honker was onto something. Yeah, and Darkwing's like no no there's no dinosaurs and then Stegmut pulls up right next to him and there's a dinosaur <laughs> and uh, Darkwing's like did you see that and Launchpad's like. Yeah, that's, that truck had expired plates. Mm-hmm. And when and Dark, <laughs> Darkwing goes, no, that's not what I meant. That dinosaur. Because <laughs> he has to admit that he saw a dinosaur. Yep. So uh, I don't know if you guys catch this because it goes by so quick. He goes through a red light and almost almost causes a traffic accident. Yeah, I caught that. Yep. Yeah, he waited till the last second to go through. <laughs> yeah. uh, and um, so then we. Happened? Yeah, next we get a uh, fossil, and uh, he's calling uh, one of the MPs where the what the magnet is. And what, was, what was the name of the soldier? Private parking space, right? Private parking, sp- private parking garage. Now, Mike, uh, <laughs> I looked at the credits, and I remember me you were talking before uh, we went on the podcast, and we said there was a lot of voice actors, but they're not show- saying who they were credited as. Yeah. I think the MP was Charlie Adler. Yeah, I would say I, so. I definitely think it was him, man. Hmm, I think it does sound kind of like him. Yeah, I definitely think it was him. I mean, I'm not 100% sure because I couldn't find no confirmation on it, but it definitely sounded like him. He might have been one of the lawyers at the beginning, too. Could be. Might have been. Mm-hmm. Um, but this scene is funny, too. The phone rings, the, um, the private parking space, private parking garage. I'm not sure which one it was picks up the phone, and you get Fossil on the line again. Is this the super, mag- mag- super magnet bunker? Oh, not the very large super magnet. And right behind the guy, Stegbutt's going into the building and carries out the super magnet, destroys the building, and the guy doesn't even see. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's a great running gag, the telephone trick. Yeah. And uh, another great gag that goes by super quick because the camera cuts away. He stops at a red light. He's carrying this huge magnet, but he still wants to obey the law. And he goes, oh, I almost broke the law. When it turns green and he starts walking again, the magnet crushes the streetlight. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> For a split second, you barely see it, but they it's its funny. So. It, yeah, and then we get back to Darkwing. Yeah, he's screwing around. Uh, <laughs> uh, because the rat catcher runs out of gas. Mm-hmm. And Launchpad's very last line is, sorry, DW, forgot to gas up. And that's it. He's gone. <laughs> <laughs> so now, what this, does Darkwing do? The, 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 that's what I was about to ask you, Mike. This is where I kind of, I think I, I must have missed something here because 
uh, Darkwing's bouncing around, but how did he get the magnet that he's bouncing around with? He's gonna, he has a magnet on the end of his gas gun. Oh, okay. See, I must have missed that because he got on the roller skates. I saw when he put on the roller skates and then like he started bouncing all over the place and Fossil could see him on the radar. Like He's like, what is this? What is that on my radar detection? Yeah, because he's following Stegma with his uh, little radar. And then he sees a little other dot. It's Darkwing flying all over the city because his magnet's getting stuck on everything. Yeah. He, he also gets hit by a train. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then eventually the magnet gets stuck to the big electromagnet. So Darkwing ends up right where he needs to be for the climax. Mm-hmm. But um, the kids are still down in the basement, all locked up. And yeah. Stigma comes in. And, and Hunter, he's like, mm-hmm, what does Hunter do? Yeah, he finally uh, convinces him what uh, Fossil's real plan is. Yeah, basically, bam, boom. That's yep. what Fossil's been saying the whole episode. Bam, boom. It's like what he keeps saying over and over again. Mm-hmm. Um, and Stegmut says, we got to stop that crazy dinosaur. Yep, so Stegmut's <laughs> finally on board. Yep. And so they go upstairs. The kids in Stegmut, they go up, and they see Darkwing fighting with Fossil. And um, what happens to Darkwing? He gets zapped. <laughs> he does. He gets zapped with the retroevolution gun and falls into a tar pit. Because, you know, um, there's just a tar pit in the middle of the city there. I know, well, right? <laughs> well, my guess, my guess is this is um, the tar pit's kind of a reference to the La Brea tar pits in Los Angeles. And there's a museum right next to that. Oh, okay. oh so, really? Okay. Well, yeah, I wouldn't have known that. Because the La Brea tar pits were discovered um, like, a, like a century ago, and they had like dinosaur bones and mammoth bones inside of it. And they, um, they built a museum next to it. <laughs> and awesome. I guess... And, I guess any of the writers of the show who live in L.A. in California obviously know about this. This has got to be what this is, because aside from this one place in L.A., we don't have that, you know, a tar pit anywhere else. Nope. You, have a tar, you have a tar pit in Canada? <laughs> Afraid not. <laughs> no, me neither. Not, not in the metropolitan areas, at least. I don't but know about the, the other. But there is one in Los Angeles, and this has got to be <laughs> what this is, because... I was lucky enough to know about it as a kid. I, I knew because I love dinosaurs, so I knew what that was. But yeah, most people are going to watch this and say, why is there a tar pit next to the museum? Mm-hmm. So anyway, Darkwing falls into the tar pit and then he becomes Darkwing Dinosaur. Your boy. Yep. <laughs> so it's basically Darkwing's head on a dinosaur's body with webbed feet. Keeps the mask on, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jim's voice has been processed down a little bit. Yeah. I don't think he's doing that himself. I think they've uh, modified it somehow. I don't think mm-hmm. that's just his voice. Um, unless you guys don't think so. I think so. But uh, then we get the comet, though. The comet's finally coming. Mm-hmm. Here it comes. And who has to save the day? It's not Darkwing. It's Goss and Honker. Yeah, mainly <laughs> Honker. Yeah, mainly Honker. He, he's trying to figure out uh, how to stop the magnet. But he has to read his books. He has to keep everyone waiting because, you know, that's what Honker does. He has to make sure his calculations are correct. And it's a lot. He's a little kid, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, for the first and only time, Goslin calls him Herbert Muddlefoot Jr. Do you think that's his real name? It could be. Yeah, uh, yeah, I guess. I never could thought about that. Could Honker be a nickname? It does come off as a nickname, but it's kind of weird that he would be junior with Tank being older, right? Yeah, that's well, true. Except Tank is not called Herb. Mm-hmm. So if you if he, yeah. if Tank was called Herb, then he would be Herb Junior. Hmm. I mean, it does it does make sense if a Honker's name is Herb that he's going to be the junior. But that's what I'm saying though. Like Tank seems like the older one wouldn't. You know, yeah. like, wouldn't he be named Junior? You know what I'm saying? Like, oh yeah, shouldn't shouldn't he have the father's name since he's the firstborn son? Is that yeah. what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, because right. yeah, that's how most people I know that's, the, the, the oldest right. son got the name. Yeah, like even my brother, my brother's the third. Yeah, he's the oldest. Oh. Right, exactly. Yeah, you're right. That's uh, that is probably how it should have worked, but I guess Herb it's, didn't like Tank very much. It's also easily explainable that Herb, it's Herb and Binky. that's true (laughs) and um so we get this one shot where 
You see the guy screaming, look, it's Godzilla, run for your lives. Curtis, I think this might be the one shot in the episode that was done over at Star Tunes. You think only one was done in Star Tunes? I know John McClanahan's animation style very, very well, and this is definitely it, and I can't place it anywhere else in this episode. Okay. I mean, for I mean, for people listening at home, John McClanahan was the head of a studio called Star Tunes. Um, he freelanced for Kennedy dur- um, during the Tiny Toons days. Anytime you saw animation on Tiny Toons that actually looked good in the Kennedy episode, it was probably John McClanahan stuff. And then after that, he um, worked on Animaniacs. Um, he did like most of the Slappy Squirrel cartoons, and um, his style is so easy to spot. I mean, not to not to you know give away a spoiler. He animated Quacker Jack's intro. Mm, nice. The, the first time you see Quacker Jack, that's John McClanahan animating him. And yeah. You can definitely tell by the way the guy looks into the camera and the way the characters are jumping around, diving in the manhole covers. If you know his style as well as I do, that's, that's definitely it. I don't, I can't place it anywhere else in this episode, though. But, well, you'll um, have to get John McClanahan on your show here. I would love to hear him talk about uh, Kennedy, Kennedy cartoons. Yeah, the only problem with only problem with that is about 15 years ago, I talked to John McClanahan. He does not remember working on Darkwing Duck. Because <laughs> <laughs> okay, he only did that one little scene, I guess. <laughs> he he remember he he said he remembered something about a dog made of water. He said that. Okay, he remembers. Well, we know what that means. Yeah. Um. But he is. It is possible to get a hold of him. He is on Facebook. I would like to reach out to him. Well, uh, even if even if he doesn't talk about Darkwing specifically, he can talk about animation in this era, which would still be relevant. That would be cool. I'm going to have to reach out to him. So Darkwing is fighting Dr. Fossil, who um d- who does the prank phone call with him. Yeah. The Darkwing dinosaur. Mm-hmm. Mm. He, and, he begins um, to shoot that retro gun at him, but he he's missing pretty bad. Pretty big target, though. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, um, he's trained by stormtroopers. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so finally, Honker comes up with the solution. Move the magnet. Yep. That's the solution. So Stegma moves the magnet, and the comet misses Earth. But what it does do is the magnet <laughs> starts sucking up um, metal objects. So it pulls the gun out of Dr. Fossil's hands, and Fossil gets nailed with an ocean liner. <laughs> and uh, Darkwing gets hit with the anchor. And uh, Fossil is crushed and apprehended, so his threat is done. Yep. And we are not going to see Dr. Fossil again. Yeah, um, he, he comes back in the uh, the Joe Books comics. They team him up with Bushroot. Oh, okay. And they do. They, they, they're making dinosaurs out of plants in one of the issues. <laughs> um, <laughs> because they would. Um, so, yeah. So now we they want to turn the other, all the people that have been captured back into people, ducks, dogs, whatever they were. But Darkwing wants to go first, just to make sure it's safe. But it's of not course. safe. <laughs> so Stegmut zaps him, and what do we get? We get a fish. A Darkwing dark fish. fish. And he asks the audience, the kids, he asks the kids to keep him away from tartar sauce. <laughs> and that, and that's how it ends. All right. It's a funny ending. It All is right. a funny ending. All right, so let's get get into these gas gun canisters. You know, I like this episode. It's I, I don't think it's a bad one. I mean, Kennedy episodes of most shows tend to get, you know, not much love. But I do like this one. Honestly, my, my rating might surprise you. I'm going to give it three gas gun canisters. Mm, okay. Because mm. it's, 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 it's a very entertaining episode. I like Stegma in this one. I know I said when we reviewed Justice Ducks, I didn't like him. Because he was pretty obnoxious there. But he's so innocent and childlike here. I can't hate him. He's very sincere. And he does help save the day. How about you, Curtis? How many gas gun canisters are you going to get this episode? Um, I'm going to give this a middle of the road two and a half. Okay. Um, I, it's, it's, it, I really feel like it's a middle of the road episode. I remember as a kid, whenever this one would come in reruns, I didn't care to watch it. 
um, like it, it's fine. It's funny the first time, um, but then on repeat viewings, didn't care. I think also that I just was never a huge Stigmut fan either, so that didn't really help the situation at all. Right. So yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, I guess for me, I'm gonna give it two gas gun canisters. Um, I'm not a big fan of this episode. The only thing I remember liking about this episode as a kid was I. The pterodactyl was always my favorite dinosaur growing up. So when I saw Dr. Frost, I was like, oh, pterodactyl, pterodactyl, you know? <laughs> That's funny because the stegosaurus was my favorite dinosaur <laughs> growing up. Yeah, but um, I don't know. The episode is pretty predictable. I wish Numero Uno was in it a little more with the with the Darkwing jokes. Um, Goss and Honker, I think I, I do like the aspect of them being the protagonists more. You know, it, it gives the the show a little bit of a change here, you know? We don't yeah. get a lot of that. Yeah, we don't get a lot of it. So that part worked for me. I'm not a fan of Dr. Fossil, though, at all. And uh, I guess watching the episode as an adult and, like, just listening to the plot really turned me off. Like, that made zero <laughs> sense, you know? I think – I actually think in this episode's case, the Kennedy animation actually helps it because it's so goofy and cartoony. It makes it fun to at least watch. Mm-hmm. I'm trying that is to picture, true. Yeah. I'm trying to picture if this one went to Sun Wu, what I would think about it. I probably would not like it very much because all that the stuff at the pool, I don't think it'd be the pool, the bungee straps. I can't imagine that being funny at all if they had done that. Or when when uh, Darkwing's bouncing around uh, chasing the the guns or the magnet. Um, yeah. All of that. All of that stuff, and even the 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 little moments where he's looking at the fourth wall and. Stuff like it's a, it's very, it's a. They lean on the comedy way more in this episode than they do in other episodes. Yeah. My my last comment about the episode, as far as like the plot, Mike. Uh, I know you're a Godzilla fan. Uh, I don't hate Godzilla, but I also don't really care for Godzilla. So the whole Darkwing as Godzilla sequence, just I don't know. It didn't do anything for me. You know, it was just there. Well- <laughs> Maybe it would have done more if he actually did something that was productive or mm-hmm. stopped Fossil somehow. He becomes Darkwing Dinosaur and then does nothing. When, yeah. you get right, when you get right down to it, it's the ocean liner that hits Fossil and defeats him. Mm-hmm. Darkwing doesn't actually do anything. Like I said before, in any part of the episode, he's chasing the wrong guy when the episode starts. Mm-hmm. first of all and then he's bouncing around with the magnet and then when he becomes darkling dinosaur he doesn't actually do anything if i have one knock against the episode it's that darkling is useless even when he should be doing something productive at the very end and, and the fact that he takes credit at the end too yeah well that's in character oh yeah all right i'm gonna start off with curtis on this one mike uh curtis how many gas gun canister would you give dr fossil Oh, I'm going to give him a, a probably a two because he's not a great villain at all, um, mm-hmm. which is why he never comes back, I guess. <laughs> he has a plan that doesn't make sense. It is cool <laughs> that he's turning things into dinosaurs. That's pretty awesome. So I'm going to give him two canisters for that, and that's it. Okay, Mike? Two. I'll give him a two, and a lot of that's based on the design and the voice work. Again, you guys are right. The plot does make no sense. Yeah, I'm giving him a two also. Like you just said, with the voice, uh, the voice really stands out for me because as soon as I heard it, I'm like, that's got to be Donatello. And then I pull it up on IMDb. Yep, that's Donatello. Yeah. <laughs> so that, so, that um, voice really works for me. And I do give him credit for one thing. And uh, Curtis mentioned it earlier, was the jokes with the phone calls, the prank calls. Yeah. That that really had it going. I think it really worked throughout the episode. It did. It kind of held. It tied everything together. Mm-hmm. Not the tax attorneys. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wrong number. Um, so I mentioned this a couple of episodes ago. So far now we've had three out of the four original Ninja Turtles. We're missing had, one. We're missing one. Yeah, we had Rob Paulson as Raphael. We had Cam Clark as Leonardo. And now we have Barry Gordon as Donatello. I don't know if Townsend Coleman is in this show. I have to. I'll have to look. Okay. But I don't. I don't think he was. Be cool if all four of them were in this series, though. And um, so, yeah, that's that's this episode. Yeah. Does anybody have anything else to add? Wasn't Jim on Ninja Turtles? Wasn't he uh, the the alligator? He was was Leatherhead. Yep. Leatherhead. Yeah, that's right. With the Mm -hmm. Cajun accent. Yeah. 
Yes, he was. Um, Barry Gordon was also um, Bebop, I think. Oh, okay. And um, so, yeah, that's Jurassic Jumble. All right. So one last thing, Mike, though, before we wrap up Jurassic Jumble, I know we're getting short on time here. Curtis, anything you want to say about the animation? One last thing? Uh, no, I I think I've said what I need to say on that. I, hopefully people will wa- re-watch the episode and pay attention to some of the the more uh, cartoony and rubber hose moments in Darkwing because you don't get that in the other episodes. Okay. All right. So, Mike, what episode we got next? Well, we're already back to Saturday morning. Oh, wow. Already? Yeah, because there was no episode that aired on Wednesday and there's no episode that airs on Friday. Mm-hmm. So we're back to Saturday morning. Um, so we, we got Stegma's intro, so now we have Neptunia's intro. So next time we're talking about something fishy. All right. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say might be one of my least favorite ABC episodes, but we will talk about that when we get there. All right. So, Mike, where can they listen to the podcast at, man? They can listen to us, oh, man, all over the place. Spotify, Stitcher, um, Google Play, Apple Devices, over on YouTube, um, also Pocket Cast, Radio Public, iHeartRadio, Pandora, talking to your Amazon Echo. It'll play it for you there. Um, I think that might be everything. Did I say YouTube? I'm not sure, man. We, well, we're on so many, man. Yeah. <laughs> we are. You guys listening have so many options. There's no excuse not to be listening to us at this point. <laughs> if, if they're listening, I'm sure they already know how to find you. That All is right. true. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm about to give out our shout outs right now. Um, for those who follow us on Facebook and Instagram, I put up a post saying if you wanted a shout out to give me a pump fist. And Instagram, I got like one, two, three, four, five pump fists. So I'm going to give the Instagram people a shout out on this uh, episode. We're going to give a shout out to Labyrinth Sinchi, Owen Callises. Oh, my God. I pronounced that probably terrible. <laughs> uh, Duh Kawaii Panda, B underscore Art 99, Regurgitating Gertie. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of these names don't lend themselves to being read out loud. <laughs> All right. So those are our shout outs for this episode, Mike. So, um, Curtis, how can our listeners find you? Well, uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all of those things. I have a podcast of my own. I call it the Epic Marvel Podcast. And we talk about classic Marvel comics from, you know, the 60s to 90s. And you can find that at epicmarvel.com or search for Epic Marvel Podcast on uh, those three main social media services and uh yeah you'll you'll find me there do you have any other work or any other projects you want to plug uh, i have another podcast that is at the moment dormant it's called the disney dad's cartoon afternoon and my co-host and i talk about the new ducktales show and we did for the first season and a half until they took a massive hiatus which meant our podcast took a hiatus and we never recovered from that hiatus because we just got busy with other stuff. We have every intention to go back and um, and read and, and do finish the rest of those episodes. In fact, I have a great interview with Don Rosa, comic book artist Don Rosa, that I'm going to be putting up on that um, on that uh, podcast soon, anytime now. And that awesome. I believe what is that? Um, DD. I think it's just CartoonAfternoon.com. It's been a long time since I've had to <laughs> save these these names um but it's on facebook it's on twitter it's on instagram as well you just gotta search for disney dad's cartoon afternoon very good podcast i enjoyed that when you guys were doing that i'm looking forward to when you guys get that going again hopefully you will i mean they're taking forever for season three so you have time to get back to season two (laughs) yeah we should do that and mike where can they find you at man facebook mike russo you know at this point it's all i do you know, message me, friend me. I will try to get back to friend requests. I'm a little bad at that, but, you know, that's it. Okay, How about yeah. you, Will? I'm also on Facebook. And, uh, guys, you can follow us on Facebook, St. Canard Files, the Dark Wind Up podcast. You can also follow us on Instagram. Uh, for That's it for this episode, guys. So make sure you stay dangerous. Have a good night. Bye-bye. Shyster and Loophole. Yeah, they're my friends, too. So what's the point? The point, kiddo, is that I believe dinosaurs became extinct when a speeding comet, bam, boom, 
whacked our planet. The point is that the famous Cleanser's Comet is due to pass above us tonight. The point! Uh, Stegma, have you left the bathroom light on again, huh? Nope. Well, make sure. See, I keep Stegmut in the dark on certain details. He upsets easily. Anyway, the point is tonight, with the help of the world's largest super magnet, that comet's going to give us dinosaurs a second chance! You mean Bill Boob? You got it, Shorty. And dinosaurs will trot through the tulips again! Okay, you like dinosaurs, but why do you have to wipe out my kind? Do you know how hard it is being a dinosaur in a man's world? <laughs>